Uh, Phil, I really enjoyed uh, our talk there with Dr. David Frawley, also known as Vamadeva. Incredibly knowledgeable, and, and the fact that he does not have an academic background and he didn't study these, uh, this subject matter as purely an academic, but really was deeply involved in his own life with them, made it for me even more, more interesting, more fascinating. Yeah, and, and, and just that uh, topic alone is a very interesting one because, you know, at, academics have their own uh, standards and their own traditions, their own ways of doing things. And so, you know, somebody like uh, Vamadeva would not be um, uh, invited to university or scholarly conferences or things like that to the same degree somebody with a Ph.D. in, uh, say, South Asian studies or uh, religious studies would be. Uh, but the level the breadth and depth of, of his knowledge is, is far surpasses any academic I, I've ever come across. No, I mean, no. they all have their areas of expertise, but he's just a, a wealth of knowledge. No, that's a great point. I mean, look, look uh, people get PhDs in, in education and they can't teach for anything. And yet somebody may have a, a you know, have a uh, undergraduate degree, no graduate work, but they're brilliant teachers. They're practitioners. Yeah. They live the information uh, more fully. Uh, so uh, fabulous stuff. Now, one thing that um, I was surprised at, and, and I'd never heard this before, was that in India, uh, in none of the universities in India, do they teach Hinduism. So explain yeah. that to well, me. Well, that's interesting. I don't because, get it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a complicated thing, and I'm not an academic, but you know, in, in researching American Veda, I spoke to a lot of academics. And this, uh, one of the things I, I learned, and I hope I get this right, is we've developed in the West this discipline known as religious studies. And um, uh, it, an institution of society called religion. And we look at it in a certain way, and we study it in a certain way. And when we apply those um, categories and uh, modes of inquiry to the Eastern traditions, it doesn't always fit because they're based on what we see as religions as they exist in the West. In India, they don't have such a thing. They don't have a thing called religious studies as an academic discipline uh, and, you know, the comparative religion. So Indians learn their traditions through gurus and pundits and uh, yoga masters and people like that. And if they're in university, they just study philosophy, and it includes I see. this. So, but there's, so there's no discipline as such and no need to set up something, or in the past, no, no perceived need to set up something like called Hindu studies. But it's also true that, in, as, as David was saying, Ever since the um, independence, you know, there was a strong Marxist and uh, secularization effort in India. And, and the ancient traditions that people like you and I came to see as of such uh, a great, as, as a great treasure of the world's knowledge, they in India were seeing it as keeping the country backward. 
You know, right. it's like people were mired in super, what they saw as superstition and empty ritual, and they wanted to modernize and secularize the, the government and the country and the educational systems and emulate Western progress. And so, you know, the, they were the last place on earth they were going to start Hindu studies was in, in universities run by, you know, with a secular or Marxist uh, perspective. That's very interesting. I mean, look at China, look at Russia. Uh, Russia things have changed, but in China, I mean, the Dalai Lama uh, uh, can can still not come back, I don't think. And uh, uh, very interesting, uh, Phil. Let me let me ask you a question and see if you can answer if you feel comfortable answering this. If a kid's growing up in India in a traditional Hindu family, and uh, uh, in the West we think of a kid growing up Catholic and going to catechism classes, a kid grows up Jewish, they go to Hebrew school. The, the, is there any such thing as a as a young Hindu boy or girl growing up and they go to Hindu school? To, or or yeah. is it just part of life? Well, it's part of life, but like, um, like you know, some families will be more secular and mm -hmm. some peop some families more traditional. Uh, I, know, I don't know enough to, to really answer the question in depth, but I, I have visited uh, schools in India where, you know, they're called gurukulas, where you know it's very traditional, and young young people are uh, groomed in um, you know the Vedas and so forth, and and other kids are wearing Western style uh, you know unif school uniforms going to other schools. So I guess it depends on the family. There's always the local guru and the local uh, priest at a temple and so forth who would. Uh, engage in, in, in certain rituals at certain times of life, life passages. So, you know, it's, it's very traditional in some ways and, and modern in others. Right. Uh, and and uh, in uh, the, the, the teachers of India, the, the great gurus, the teachers he mentioned, uh, do they now look at, like he, he mentioned yoga being more accepted in India now, yoga asanas, yoga classes, because they've been accepted in the West. So do the teachers of India, the gurus, considered that a good thing that some of the teachers came to the West, uh, uh, made it popular in the West, and therefore, since it's from the West, it's embraced by a lot of young Indians more enthusiastically. Well, in my experience, um, it was mixed. When I, I was there on a lecture tour two years ago, and um, there was both, on the one hand, a sense of pride that... Uh, prominent people in the West, and especially scientists and academics. It's, it's, you know, in, in most circles in India, there's tremendous respect given to higher education and, um, and scientific inquiry. So the fact that science has sort of validated these ancient practices and people in the West are embracing them was a source of pride for many people. And it was a source of resentment by others. It was uh, part of the attitude was, why should we need the West to mm -hmm. validate our own traditions? You know, that's just another form of kind of imperialism in a sense that, you know, holding the West up as the standard bearer of what's good and what's not. But, you know, um, at the same time, there's also concern that because of... Uh, the physical aspect of yoga becoming so popular in the West is now popular in India, but so that that may be a good thing, and you know, and it's good for health. And there's a lot of research institutes in India studying yoga. 
on the other hand, there there's concern that you know they don't want their great tradition of yoga and yogic spirituality reduced to uh, some kind of fitness practice. So right. it's a mixed bag. Right, right. As it is in some areas uh, that we've seen uh, now uh, in the United States. Now there's been an enormous influx of folks from India. I would imagine most are Hindu, and uh, certainly that's got to have an influence. I went to the uh, Hare Krishna temple in San Diego. Uh, a couple of years ago for their Sunday feast. And uh, I was surprised about over half the people I saw there, and I spoke to many of them, uh, well over half were Indians uh, from India who had come to live and work in the United States. Many of them software people, as it turns out. And yeah. uh, they uh, they said, you know, they saw it as a bhakti temple. They went in and uh, were, you know, uh, really enjoying everything, but quite different than the Westerners that I have met over the years associated with Hare Krishna. So uh, yeah. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, the Westerners uh, tend to rock and roll a little more when they, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. when they chant. Yeah, well, one no. fellow, I gotta say, one fellow said, I said, is this like a bhakti uh, uh, temple in, in, uh, in India? You know, and he said, well, this is a little bit more lively here. A little bit yeah. more bouncing, I think he said. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. No, I, it, but in addition, I mean, we've had Hare Krishna temples here since the 60s. Right. But um, in more, uh, last 20 years or so, especially, there's been traditional style, architecturally, uh, Hindu temples like you would see in India popping up all over the country because of the uh, Hindu first, second, third generation now Indians. I mean, it's like every other uh, immigrant group, you know, when when your Italian ancestors came here, you know, they after a while they built churches, so they'd have some, you know, they could have traditional forms of worship. Not, not, my, my, not my grandparents. They were, they were not <laughs> right. big into the church uh, right. when they came. Uh, it changed. My parents were more open to it, but not my grandparents. So I, I, well, my, I was yeah. going to say that, you know, the Jews did the same thing. You, you know, they congregate and live in the same neighborhoods and then put some money together and build a synagogue, but not my parents, not my <laughs> ancestors. They were, they were at the racetrack and the baseball games. But, <laughs> but that's what happens. And, and so the Hindus have done that, and they've built, in some cases, magnificent temples, really beautiful, but in the traditional style. Because I, I think people in the West don't realize if they've never been to India, they don't, re they don't know what a Hindu temple is like. It's not like... Uh, you know the Vedanta Center or the TM Center. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're, they're very different, mm -hmm. and uh, but they're now you know all over the place. I was just lecturing at one in Chicago. I've been to one in Nashville, Tennessee. I mean they're all over right. Atlanta, and yep. so where where there's large uh, um, communities of. Uh, the Hindu diaspora, they mm -hmm. build temples. And that's an interesting thing because, you know, um, Westerners who are interested in yoga and Vedantic ideas and so forth might find their way to these temples and and start uh, participating in them. And I've seen that uh, happen slowly. No, it's fascinating. They're wonderful places. They're very welcoming. Uh, in many ways, they're not as uh, structured in terms of activities and all. It's, it's sometimes just more open. Uh, and I think Westerners are very attracted to that. Well, uh, it was uh, wonderful having him, Dr. David Frawley, uh, also known as Mama Deva, and uh, I'd love to have him back on the show. I'd love to have his wife back on the, sh uh, back on the show. 
And yeah, uh, yeah. Yoga, Vedanta, Ayurveda, Stapachaved, all, all these areas, uh, Vedic astrology, uh, that he's so knowledgeable of. Um, yeah, anyone could make a show. Exactly. And, and I would, I strongly encourage people to uh, read his books, uh, go to the website, um, make use of the hundreds of articles he's written. He's incredibly prolific right. and uh, extremely well-versed and knowledgeable on these subjects. Let, get, give his website again. Uh, it, it's Vedanet, V-E-D-A-N-E-T, uh, um, dot com. I have it here now, actually. Yeah, it's dot com. Dot com. And also, uh, please uh, email Phil and I, or uh, uh, you know, uh, we will have links to his site uh, on our site. This is Spirit Matters. Spirit Matters Talk. Dot com. Uh, go to our site and please subscribe. It's free to do that. Uh, and uh, thank you for listening. And uh, Phil, uh, another interview that I thoroughly enjoyed. Yep, me too. Next time. Next time.